From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. This election was shaped by two men with very different characters. One of them was defined by certainty and the other by his insecurities. Eric Jensen on how leadership interacts with uncertainty and what it means for the country. Eric, you spent time with both Scott Morrison and Bill Shorten throughout the campaign while you were reporting this essay. Who, in your mind, was the more interesting person? It's funny to say this because he lost. But to my mind, Bill Shorten... Eric Jensen is Schwartz Media's editor-in-chief. He's also written a new quarterly essay on the election. And I think that because... Bill Shorten tells us so many things about who we are as people, what we want from leadership and what we won't accept. We can't come at in this country anything less than a person who tells us with confidence that everything is going to be okay. No need to get nasty. (laughs) I'm sorry if you think that, I'm sorry if you think that so many of your people, I'm sorry if you think that's, I'm sorry if you When did you first meet Shorten for the quarterly essay? We met uh, 100 days out from the election for a photo shoot and I was really taken by just how adept Bill Shorten was. He really was in control of that entire room, you know, the assistants, the photographer, the artist who was working on the cover, Shorten's own staffers. He had an incredible skill to move conversations back and forth between that threshold of on the record and off the record without having to say that's what he was doing. To tell you something that was unduly transgressive or intimate and let that be the marker by which you decided whether you were having an on-the-record conversation, and you only do that if you're a very skilled politician. And what did you find he was like in front of the camera? Shorten was incredibly capable in that room, but in the instant of having his picture taken, he is a man who is deeply uncomfortable. He has a face he puts on for pictures, and the work of a photographer in taking a portrait of Bill Shorten is trying to convince him out of the face that he's learned to pull. At one point, I talked to Bill about taking off his jacket for a picture, and he was really resistant. All of the capability and the confidence in his bearing shifted, and he he said... I'm not comfortable doing that. I'd feel quite shapeless without that jacket. And it was odd to see someone who moments before was in command of the entire room suddenly showing that his confidence, you know, it wasn't even this question of being skin deep. It's not even extending beyond, you know, beyond the lining of his jacket. And yet there is still a confidence there. There are two things here. One is about the confidence that underpins a person. And for Bill Shorten, that's very fragile. But there's this other confidence, the confidence about winning this election. The entire time I was around Bill Shorten, that confidence didn't shift. He and the people around him had an absolute certainty that they were going to win. And then once the election is called, you obviously spent more time with him on the campaign trail. Let's go to an early stop on that campaign. What was that like? One of the first moments on the campaign was at the women's policy launch that Labor held in Victoria about two weeks into the campaign at a building in the CBD. We don't need to lobby him about equality and women's issues. He just gets it. It's my great pleasure today to introduce Bill Shorten. 
Jordan gets up to do his part of the policy announcement after Tanya Plibersek has laid out a lot of the, the mechanics of it. He runs through more of those mechanics. He also starts to tell a story about why policy around gender inequality and gendered violence means something to him. Words don't help children at night or their mother trying to negotiate the unpredictable moves of an angry man. I was following the script of his auto cue while he was doing this and partway through, Bill Shorten left the auto cue and started to talk about this figure of the drunk man, the figure of the angry man. Is he drunk happy or is he drunk angry? Will he fall asleep at the table? Can I turn my music on in my room? Will it cause a fight? He started to tell the story of, you know, the uncertainty that accompanies a child living in a house where you wait to see if your mother has switched on the light on the porch to decide whether or not it's safe to come home. Does my mother have to physically and literally protect me from the mood of the angry man? Words are not enough. Sitting in the front row was Bill Shorten's wife, Chloe Shorten, She was crying through parts of his speech. There was an incredible sense of truthfulness to what was being said. I had spoken to to Bill Shorten about his own father. He was quite uncomfortable having those conversations. He wasn't certain how much he wanted to share. But he, he did tell me that his father was not a good father, that his father drank too much. I'm not suggesting that the angry drunk Bill Shorten described in that policy launch was his father. I'm certainly not suggesting that everything that he said was an analogy of his own childhood. I'd been struggling to reconcile the various and sometimes contradictory aspects of Bill Shorten's character, but in that moment I I really started to understand that the great truth of Bill Shorten is that his character is not settled. The foundations on which everything is built are unstable. We'll be right back. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Eric, you've talked about Bill Shorten's dad and his relationship with his dad. But really the figure that we all associate more closely with Shorten is that of his mother. Can we talk about her and the role that she played throughout the campaign? Bill Shorten's mother is the great animating force of his life. Every conversation that I've had with Bill Shorten has included unprompted reference to his mother. The things that really drive him, the things that define him in a policy sense, are about her. 
gender and poverty. The, these are the inequalities that bounded his mother's life and he has in himself a childlike certainty in his capacity to fix these issues. So he told parts of his mother's story um, in his appearance on Q&A on the ABC. My mum was a brilliant woman. She wasn't bitter. She worked here for 35 years. But I also know that if she had had other opportunities, she could have done anything. My point is this. What motivates me? If you really want to know who Bill Shorten is, I can't make it right for my mum, but I can make it right for everyone else. To see then how that story was covered by the Daily Telegraph two days later, their front page, the headline was Mother of Invention. Uh, The piece was doubting of Shorten's truthfulness in telling his mother's story. He said that he told it in an incomplete way because he mentioned that she hadn't been able to go straight into studying law, but he failed to mention that she later went to the bar. The accusation being that he'd removed parts of her story to benefit his platform. The accusation being, and this is one that has followed Shorten his entire public life, that he's actually more privileged than he lets on, that he has this working class voice, but it's a put on that, you know, his mum was a barrister and he went to Xavier College. And so really this is, you know, this is not the story of a boy who knows hardship. Now, some of that is true. Bill Shotton did go to Xavier College, a prestigious private school in Victoria. His parents struggled to pay to send him there. His mother and his father were both raised genuinely poor. And if you were raised at that proximity to poverty, it doesn't matter whether you have a little bit more money. You are raised in the afterimage of hardship. You are raised with all of the anxieties of poverty. He's always struggled with not fitting in. And what's it like when you sit down to an interview with Bill Shorten? Bill Shorten is someone who will doubt his own answers a sentence away from having given them. He showed me the different signatures that he uses in different contexts for bank checks or, you know, signing um, official correspondence. And uh, as soon as he'd done that, he suddenly asked what the import of the question was and, and wanted to, you know, to make sure that he hadn't somehow betrayed something he didn't wish to betray. So what is the public's struggle with Shorten? That was something we heard a lot about throughout the campaign, of course. His whole time in the leadership, Shorten has been unpopular. And focus groups and polling tell us that, you know, he's unpopular because he appears to be inauthentic, untrustworthy. In reality, having spent time with Shorten, I think what it is, is people can't handle this extraordinary need to be liked. You know, the public want in a leader confidence and reassurance. They do not want a person who is hungry for validation and uncertain. And Bill Shorten is both those things. Is it fair that our current concept of leadership and what qualifies us to lead a country like Australia is confidence? Or is there some value in expanding that to include insecurity, vulnerability, the things that you're describing Shorten possesses? I think this is a huge issue for the country. Australia is an insecure nation. In many ways, Bill Shorten, an unsure, incomplete, insecure person, is a person who could have governed the nation in its own image. And I really think when you look at our politics and you look at where we draw politicians from and what we mistake for leadership, we constantly look to strong men who will comfort us and tell us things don't need to be very different. In what way could insecurity be productive 
One of the few answers to insecurity is consensus. You navigate insecurity by looking to find commonality, by bringing people together and putting people around you who can help you to achieve the things that you want to achieve. Something Bill Shorten realised early in his career and that everyone around him acknowledges about Bill Shorten is that he knows he's not the smartest person in the room. A lot of politicians say that they know that, but they say that through false humility. For Bill Shorten, it's a foundational principle. And once you stop thinking you're the smartest person in the room, you become much, much better at getting other people's ideas into action. And Eric, where is Scott Morrison on this spectrum of insecurity versus certainty? Spending time in the campaign watching Scott Morrison, what strikes you is that this is a man who is unfamiliar with doubt. Everything he does, every step that he takes, is driven by great, great certainty. And that's not just Scott Morrison. That's people who we make Prime Minister. That's Paul Keating. That's Bob Hawke. That's John Howard. Each of them different men and and shaped by different personalities, but none of them undermined by true insecurity. And what's wrong with that? What's the problem with that? I think to answer that question, we need to look at what drives ambition. Because to be Prime Minister, at the very least, you have to be ambitious. In the main, and, and the literature broadly agrees on this, Ambition is driven by privilege or by insecurity. There are other factors, but these are two major drivers. And if we are discomforted by insecurity, then we will only draw our leaders from that pool of ambition that is shaped by privilege. And if we keep electing privileged ambition, we won't elect different kinds of people. And if we don't change the kinds of people we elect, the country won't change. Thanks for speaking with us, Eric. Thank you, Elizabeth. For longtime editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy. Yeah, yeah, if, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Elsewhere in the news, new figures contradict Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton's warning of floodgates opening under the Medivac bill. Since the legislation was passed, only 31 asylum seekers have been brought to Australia for treatment, almost all approved by the government without the use of the panel of doctors that could compel the medical evacuations. Only two cases have been forced by the panel. And a class action of more than 400 pilots has been launched against Boeing over what is described as the unprecedented cover-up of the known design flaws in the American company's top-selling plane. The aircraft in question is a 737 MAX, the same model that crashed in Ethiopia last year, killing 157 people. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you Tuesday. <laughs> 